In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. During this Easter season, it's an appropriate time to pray about the Mass, to pray about the Eucharist. We know that the Mass has a very close connection to Calvary. Lord, we know that the Mass makes present, in an unbloody way, the same sacrifice that was present in a bloody way, on Calvary, on Good Friday. But sometimes we miss the connection between Easter and the Eucharist, the connection between the Resurrection and the Mass, the Resurrection and the Blessed Sacrament. And there's a deep connection there, which I think is helpful for us to think about, to reflect on, because it can help us to get more out of the Mass, to get more perhaps in a special way, out of, our, out of our communions. The connection between Easter and the Mass comes out very much in the liturgy. This is the, this is the first Eucharistic prayer. After the consecration, after we have made Jesus present in the host and in the chalice, the priest prays the following. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the Blessed Passion, the resurrection from the dead, and the glorious ascension into heaven of Christ your Son, our Lord. We, your servants and your holy people, offer to your glorious majesty from the gifts that you have given us, this pure victim, this holy victim, this spotless victim, the holy bread of eternal life, and the chalice of everlasting salvation. We profess here, Lord, that the Mass is not just the memorial of your passion, but it's also the memorial of your resurrection from the dead and your glorious ascension into heaven. And we know as, as concerns the liturgy, the memorial of the Paschal Mystery, the death and resurrection of our Lord, is not just a, is not just a psychological remembrance. It's a mysterious and sacramental representing, making present again those mysteries, such that the Mass is called the sacrifice of the Mass, the holy sacrifice of the Mass, because it makes present again, Lord, your sacrifice on the cross in a sacramental way, in a mysterious sacramental way. And we profess here in the liturgy, and it makes perfect sense, as we'll consider uh, as we continue, we profess here that it's not just the memorial of your of your death, but also of your resurrection. The third Eucharistic prayer also has this theme, and it says it very beautifully and very clearly. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. It's a holy and living sacrifice. 
Why is it living? It's living because the body of Christ that's made present in Mass and offered to the Father, your body, Jesus, is only one. There's only one body of Christ. And so if if the body of Christ is truly present in the Mass, truly present in the tabernacle, it has to be that resurrected body of Jesus. It's the same body that rose from the dead on Easter Sunday after being nailed to the cross on Good Friday. It's the same body that ascended into heaven 40 days later and that we're now members of in the church through baptism. There's only one body and that is a resurrected that is a resurrected body. And how could it be otherwise? How could it be a normal body? Our Lord's resurrected body is is not like the resuscitated body of Lazarus. When our Lord brings back Lazarus from the dead, or brings back that little girl from the dead, or brings back that son of a widow from the dead in the gospel, they're not resurrected in the strict sense. They're resuscitated, right? They're, they're, our Lord, the miracle there is that our Lord lets their soul come back to their body and give it normal, natural human life again. They live again after having died. When our Lord rises from the dead, something completely different is going on. It's a body that that is totally spiritualized. He can walk through walls. He can uh, hide his identity from others and then reveal it to them whenever he wants to. He ascends into heaven with that body. And with that same body, he gives himself to us in the Eucharist. There's a wonderful book by uh, Pope Benedict, and it's a collection of sermons and addresses that he gave about the Eucharist, all of which were um, preached or, or delivered before he became Pope. The book is called God is Near Us. And in there, there's a, there's a wonderful essay in which he explains the, this connection, this connection between the resurrection and the Eucharist. Our Lord's resurrected body and his body present under the sacraments, under the sacramental signs in, in the Eucharist. And what he says there is that in, in our normal human existence, our normal human experience, our bodies have two roles. One is very positive and in many ways the basis for our, for our ability to love each other. And that, that role is that the body is a means of communication and sharing. We talk to each other with our bodies. We listen to each other through our bodies. We look at each other with looks of concern and love through our bodies. We embrace each other with our bodies. We serve each other through our bodies. And so there's this dimension of, of bodily existence that is love and communion and openness and sharing. But there's another, there's another dimension to our normal bodily existence, which is that our bodies are a, a kind of hard limit which separate us from each other. Right? Where my body is, your body cannot be. I'm over here and you'll always remain outside of me over there. 
And just as our bodies can be tools to love each other, to foster communion, friendship, goodness, so too, through our bodies, we can look at each other with disdain, or we can speak words that hurt, or we can do violence, right? physical violence to each other through our bodies. In explaining the resurrection, Ratzinger makes this brilliant point. He says, what the resurrection does is it leaves behind that second dimension of bodily existence. In the resurrection, the body is no longer a limit that separates me from others. The body is no longer a way of dividing us, separating us. It has become completely dominated by that first dimension. It's become completely a means for sharing, for communication, for love, for union. And that's why Jesus can do all these things with with his body, and his body can be all these things that a normal body can't be. A normal body can't be held by other people and given to other people to eat. This is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. This is my body. St. Augustine had a, had a keen sense of this, of this mystery. Preaching to catechumens who were just baptized and now about to receive their first communion in their first mass as, as Christians. He preached to them this. He said, Behold the mystery of your salvation laid out for you. Behold what you are, become what you receive. Referring, Lord, to your presence in the Blessed Sacrament, to your presence in the Eucharist, he tells them, Behold what you are, become what you receive. And what are they? And what are they going to become? And what are they receiving? The body of Christ. The body of Christ, that Christ shares himself shares his very self by making his body shareable, communicable, eatable, right? We literally, we literally commune with God by eating his body. But it's a resurrected body. It's a body that's been made, that's been made um, a pure means of communication. That's why eating it is not, is not cannibalism. It's, this is a new kind of body, a new kind of spiritualized body that's meant purely for love purely for self-gift, purely for for sharing. Become what you receive. Augustine, in, in another passage, Augustine somewhere writes that, um, that with normal food, when we eat it, it becomes us. When we eat uh, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it eventually turns into some of our cells and some of our tissues and and some of our bones. People say you are what you eat, but that's not exactly true. Right? What we eat has an effect on, on our, our physical life. We don't literally become what we eat. Right? Thank God the existence of uh, a conscious peanut butter and jelly sandwich would be a rather miserable existence. But with the Eucharist, this is, this is true. We are what we eat. We become members of his body, we become other Christs. We take on Christ's identity by receiving him 
in communion. This is why it's so beautiful. It's simple, but very beautiful. When we receive communion, the priest says to us, the body of Christ, and the communicant says, Amen. And Amen, of course, means yes or indeed, but it also means be it so or let it be. The body of Christ, amen, let it be. Let what be? Well, let let that be me now, or let me be it, right? I believe it, and I want to become it. Behold the mystery of your salvation laid out for you. Behold what you are. Become what you receive. In communion, our Lord Jesus is loving us in an incredible way. Thank you, Lord, for our communions, our, uh, our ability to receive you in this way. In communion, Lord, you're holding me, you're loving me, you're embracing me, you're filling me, you're pouring yourself out completely into me through communion. Lord, help me in those moments, in those minutes of communion during Mass and, some, and for some minutes after Mass, if at all possible, to be still and to enjoy your presence, to let this gift sink into me, fill me completely. And Lord, as you're holding me there and loving me there and embracing me there and filling me there by pouring yourself into me, help me to do exactly the same back to you, Lord. Help me to hold you and love you and embrace you and pour myself back into you to respond to your gift to me, the gift of yourself to me, with the gift of my very self to you. Lord, when I go to Mass, do I find time, even if it's just five minutes, to sit in your presence afterwards, to, to thank you and to commune with you, right? To commune with you after Mass, after so closely after that moment of having received your body into my body, St. Philip Neri was, was a priest with a wonderful sense of humor. And Philip Neri would get, would get annoyed when people left church before the final blessing, when they would receive communion. And then because they were in a hurry, they would just, they would just scatter out before the final prayers and the final blessing. And so what he, what he would do is he would tell his altar servers that after communion, they should take candles and light them and go stand at the, at the entrance to the church. And so they'd be standing there with these candles dressed in their cassock and surplus. And, uh, and when that first guy came out rushing out of church, still with the presence of God very much in him sacramentally, like a walking tabernacle, we're walking tabernacles in those moments after communion. Just like we genuflect to a tabernacle, we should genuflect to ourselves. We adore Christ in us after communion. And so these, so these altar boys would be waiting there, um, with these candles. And then when the, uh, when that first hurried parishioner would burst through the doors and out to the streets, they would follow him as if it were a Eucharistic procession. They try to keep up close to him with those candles. And obviously it was a, quite a spectacle and he was embarrassed. 
And then he went back to um, St. Philip Neri to explain it. And St. Philip Neri was like, well, look, you're, you know, you're not adoring our Lord in those moments when you have him in you. So I sent the altar service to do it on your behalf. There's a constant theme in the liturgy. Lord, we pray to your Father that we may imitate what we celebrate. That we may imitate the mysteries that we celebrate. To put them into practice in our life. To incarnate them with our own behavior, with our own, with our own life. So we reflect, what does it mean to imitate the resurrected Christ's gift of himself in the Blessed Sacrament? What would that look like? A number of years ago now, Bishop Javier Echeverria, who was then the prelate of Opus Dei, wrote a pastoral letter on the Eucharist. It was the year of the Eucharist in the church. And so he wrote a long um, and very beautiful and very rich pastoral, pastoral letter on the Blessed Sacrament. And this is one of the things he wrote there. Looking at our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, we realize how good it is for us to become bread so that others can feed on what we have, our prayer, our spirit of service, our joy, so as to go forward along the path to holiness. We become convinced of the need for hidden and silent sacrifice, a sacrifice without spectacle or grandiose gestures. Looking at our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, such a helpful, such an important thing for us to do, to adore Him there, but also to reflect on <laughs> on how much goodness that shows, how much selflessness that shows. What a spirit of service is manifested to us by our Lord's becoming bread, becoming something inert and touchable and digestible, something totally made for others. Right? Bread is made to be eaten. If it's not eaten, it goes to waste wine is wine is meant to be to be drunk if it's not drunk it spoils god becomes food right edibles perishables in the blessed sacrament and that should move us to to want to be really good too to want to be at the service of others so that others can feed as bishop echeverria wrote so that others can feed on what we have, our prayer, our spirit of service, our joy, so as to go forward along the path to holiness. But Lord, what do I have? Do I have enough? There's an old Latin saying, Nemo dat quod non abet. No one gives what he does not have. Lord, do I have enough faith to share it with others? Do I have enough knowledge of my faith and of important issues to help others, to help them find their way? Do I have enough love in my heart, Lord, for you, so that I can find you in others and serve you there? What you've done for the least of these, my brethren, you've done to me. Lord, is my prayer life intense enough, consistent enough, sacrificial enough, so that I can teach others to pray, so that I can encourage others to pray? 
so that I can lead others to prayer. Lord, I can't give what I don't have. And in many ways I'm empty, Lord, so I need you to fill me with, with these things. Give me a greater faith. Give me a greater grasp of the truth of the church. Give me a greater concern for others and for your presence in them so that I can serve you and love you there. Give me more, Lord. Give me more so that others can feed on what I have. So that others can feed on what we have. The body of Christ. Amen. Yes, let it be. What a crazy, what a, it always, it should always be a cause for a little bit of concern, at least marveling for us, that we believe this, that what we see and perceive as bread is not bread. It's not bread anymore. It's the body of Christ. The consecrated host only looks like bread, but it's the body of Christ. And because it's a resurrected body, it's a living sacrifice as we pray in that third Eucharistic prayer, because it's our Lord's living resurrected body, what well, has his blood in it. And so where his body is present, his blood is present. And since it's a living body made up of, of flesh and blood and bones, his soul is also present. The human soul of our Lord is there. The soul is what gives life to the body. And since we're talking about you, Lord, Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, this means that your divinity is also present. That humanity, that composite of body and soul, which is the humanity of Jesus Christ, the the sacred humanity of our Lord, is permanently connected to God. God gives it being directly by assuming it to himself. So therefore, this is how we have the church's formulation of of our belief in God's real presence, body, blood, soul, and divinity. The body is truly present, therefore the blood is present. The body is alive, therefore the soul is present. The incarnation is real and permanent, therefore Jesus' divinity is also present. This is a crazy thing to believe, and yet we believe it. And why do we believe it? We believe it because because Jesus said it. We believe it because Jesus said it and because God can do this. And if God is love, <laughs> which he shows us that he is in Christ and on the cross, well, love love does crazy things. St. Thomas Aquinas in the Adorate Devote makes this point. He says, Visus tactus gustus in te fallitur. Sed audito solo, tuto creditor. Our sight, our touch, our taste, all fail in their judgment of you. But hearing suffices firmly to believe. We know that the Blessed Sacrament is true, not because we see the body of Christ, not because we taste the body of Christ, not because we touch the body of Christ. To our senses, it seems like we're touching bread, It seems like we're drinking wine. But by hearing, we believe because we hear. And what do we hear, Lord? We hear your own words. This is my body. Take and eat. This is the chalice of the new covenant in my blood. 
take and drink. Aquinas goes on, Credo quid quid dixit dei filius nil og verbo veritatis verius. I believe all that the Son of God has spoke. There is nothing truer than this word of truth. The body of Christ. Amen. Yes. Lord, I believe this because you said it. Because at the Last Supper, you took bread and said, Take and eat. And because at the Last Supper, you took the chalice filled with wine and called it the chalice of the new covenant in your blood poured out for us. And I believe this, Lord, because in your divinity, you are God and you're all-powerful. You can do anything that doesn't, that doesn't entail a contradiction that isn't logically impossible or logically absurd. So I believe it, Lord, because you said it. I believe it, Lord, because I believe as God, you can do it. And I believe it, Lord, because very clearly on the cross, you give your body to us. You suffer and die for us. And very clearly in the resurrection, that body has been has been raised in a new form, a form that's spiritual and shareable and has become a pure means to love and communion. Behold what you are. Become what you receive. Amen. Let it be. We go to Our Lady. St. John Paul II had a wonderful title for Our Lady. He called her the Woman of the Eucharist. The Woman of the Eucharist. It's good for us to imagine how thrilled Our Lady would have been when she received Our Lord in communion in those first Masses celebrated by St. John and by the other Apostles. What a thrill it would it would descend through her heart, her soul, her body to receive her son, to know once again that her son was alive and well and in her, entering into her in an intimate way, just as he had entered into her at the Annunciation when she said yes to God's plan. Fiat, be it done. Amen. Let it be. Our Lady, our Mother, help us to appreciate, as you certainly did, the wonderful mystery, the wonderful love that God shows to us by resurrecting and by making that resurrection a way to give himself to us in this wonderful mystery of the Blessed Sacrament. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.